I can't even say the number. The last time I heard there was something like 500 scripted television shows being produced right now. I first became a TV writer. One of my mentors, Michael Narducci, said to me, you know, there are about the same number of working writers who make a living off of, tele off of, off of writing for the film and television industry as there are NBA players. And I was like, oh, I have to be that good. I have to be that fucking good at this. Mm -hmm. And it's very scary. Welcome back to the Well Now What podcast. I'm your host, Savannah. If you're new here, this podcast is for confused Gen Zs, millennials, unsure what they want to do post-grad or career-wise. So I interview people from completely different backgrounds to learn more about their journey. How's everyone doing so far? I know I'm posting this on a Tuesday. I was quite busy the last few days, so I hope you can forgive me. Um, you know, I think I mentioned in the last episode I am planning on moving and we'll be doing renos to the apartment. Um, so I'm excited to document that and take you guys along. I'll, I'll probably document it on my Instagram, so make sure to follow me at Podcast. But apart from that, you know, work is good. Uh, I am still working with the content creator. We are going to be launching an online course, which is going to be a lot of work the next few weeks. So if anyone is an expert at it and has any advice, please send it my way. Today's guest is Karina McKenzie. She is a brilliant TV writer. She's written for some shows that you may have heard of, like The Originals, The Flash. She's the showrunner for CW Roswell, New Mexico. And today we talk about how she got started into writing and journalism, and she kind of goes over her entire story. Um, but most of all, she's also very honest and transparent about the industry, what it's like to be a female, um, you know, starting off when she was younger and also how it is, you know, it is challenging to get to the industry if you're new and making new connections can be difficult, but she also gives some really great tips and advice. Uh, if you were to go into the industry and, you know, reaching out to people that you admire, whether that's on social media or LinkedIn, um, that's definitely a huge help. She also goes into details of how she stood up and found her confidence as a writer because, you know, that's really difficult and you're constantly critiqued about your work. You're also praised, but, you know, with the positive comes negatives. So how she kind of found her confidence in her voice there. And what I love so much about Karina is, you know, she goes into detail about the story about an episode she was writing on the originals and this one part she was really adamant on keeping and I love you know how passionate she is about her writing and how she stands up for what she believes in so I think that's really refreshing and I think a lot of people are going to enjoy hearing that so with that being said let's get straight into it I am joined by the wonderful Karina McKenzie. She is a TV writer, producer, and showrunner. She's most known for writing for the CW Originals, The Flash, and is the creator of the CW show, Roswell, New Mexico. Karina, I am such a huge fan of your work. I love The Vampire Diaries. Like, I remember when it first came on, and then the originals, I think I was like 12 or 13, and I absolutely loved it. And of course, your show, Roswell, I really like the, you know, the way that you brought it on, you brought on like LGBTQ characters, you had, you know, a lead Latino woman. So I love the way that you brought that show on. So thank you again for thank coming you. on. That was those things that you listed were all of the reasons that I did the show in the first place. So that's, that's great. And, you know, I, mm -hmm. I didn't technically ever work for the Vampire Diaries. I, mm -hmm. um, I was a journalist who was covering the Vampire Diaries, but the, I really love to talk about it because 
being a fan of that show launched my mm -hmm. career, truly. Like loving something just, you know, is what started me on this path. So, uh, yes. you know, I have a lot of, a lot, a lot of love and a lot of very fond memories. I love that. Yeah. So usually with my guests, before we get into, you know, your writing career and stuff, it's usually beforehand, like your high school experience, your college experience. And I read that you were really big into skiing beforehand. And I know um, for me, like I was a dancer for a long time and that was my identity. And when it was time for college, I was like, what? There's life. There's like, no, there's something else apart from dance. So for you, when you were applying for colleges, were you kind of, you know, still stuck on like trying to be a skier or like, where was your head to come college? Um, so I was a competitive skier for a few years in uh, high school, but I was never like very, very, very good. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like part of my identity as far as like competition. I wasn't, you know, mm -hmm headed for the, the team or anything, but it was where I got a lot of my joy. So when I decided to apply to colleges, I did apply only to schools where I knew that I could ski. Um, it was something that I loved. It was something that like, I felt, I don't know, it's, it's similar to the way that I feel now as an adult, when I took a road trip, it's like a very freeing feeling for me. I'm a very, my, I have a very cluttered mind. I'm of a lot of anxiety. I always have, um, for as long as I can remember, or as far back as, as not to bring the mood down immediately, but um, my I, anxiety issue started in my life around 9-11, which happened when I was 14. And skiing was like a, a place to clear my head. And so, yeah, I applied to schools. I went to school, in, I went to high school in Connecticut, but I, so I literally applied to three schools. I applied to Middlebury in Vermont, UVM and University of Colorado. Middlebury was my top choice. I did not get in. I got into the University of Colorado and I ended up deciding on Colorado because I, I think I felt like I needed to take a chance and go a little further from home. Mm -hmm. So I went to University of Colorado and ironically, almost all the boys from my high school ski team also went to University of Colorado the same year. So mm -hmm. I had this weird, really weird college experience of like traveling with a security blanket. My best guy friend who to this day is still somebody who was so important in my life was in my dorm and so I didn't really get that like fish out of water thing I went to the same high school like the same school system my entire childhood and then went to college with like a pack of boys protecting me from the world <laughs> um, I almost I almost transferred out in the middle and mm -hmm. that was again my sophomore year I started to feel like University of Colorado Boulder, when I was there, it was, when I was there, it was like the number one party school in the U.S. It was like a lot of stoners. Um, it was a great school to go to if you like want to go to huge football games and want to be in huge lecture halls and, you know, 30,000 kids. Um, but my sophomore year, I kind of started freaking out and feeling like some of my peers who went to school on the coasts in cities were ahead of me. Like I felt like they were doing these internships and, and meeting people. And um, I started to feel like I was gonna have a lot of catching up to do. So I applied to a bunch of schools in New York City and almost transferred. I, I mean, I said my goodbyes to all of my- Oh, wow. So you were really close here. to like fully leaving. Really close. And yeah. then I, I think that was a conversation with my dad where he kind of said, you're never gonna be able to do this college experience again in the middle of the country. You're never gonna be able to like, you know, not that I wanna like give this advice to your listeners, but he was like, mm -hmm. you're never gonna be able to just like 
kind of be a stoner and kind of relax and not Mm -hmm. be freaked out. And my dad was in, um, was in finance, was in oil actually. Um, Mm -hmm. He worked at like Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. So he was a very high powered, high, high paced, you know, executive guy. And he really looked at me and was like, oh, just enjoy college. So I ended up staying in Boulder and I'm so glad that I did. I mean, amazing. Yeah. That's kind of similar to, to me. I don't know if you know the Vancouver or British Columbia area. Well, but... I know Vancouver very well. I spent okay. a lot of time in Vancouver. So oh, yeah, it's kind of, been, obviously since the pandemic, I haven't been yes. able to, yes, it's... I, I am Canadian, so okay. I could come, but yes. I, um, the two week quarantine is, uh, a little time. So I'll yes, be there. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So I went to school on the Island. So Victoria, so it was like a three hour, like ferry ride or, um, drive away. And yeah, for me, I was like first initially wanting to go to UBC, which is right in the hub of where my family and friends are. And I was like, I got to stay close to family. But then Victoria was a solution that was if I wanted to come home on the weekends, I could yeah. come back. So I could relate to that, but I'm so glad. And I really advise this to all my listeners, like, unless you have to stay home and you don't have the financial means, I definitely recommend having that experience away and gaining um, that independence. But yeah, I, I'm curious to know though, what about with writing? Like, did you, when did that passion come about? Has that always been like a thing that you've always loved to do? Or when did you discover that you really liked writing? I don't know because it's as mm-hmm. long as I remember. The next big memory that I have, which is actually kind of funny, is that when I was in the fourth grade, I wrote, I was obsessed with um, the books, The Secret Garden and The Little Princess. Okay. And I, in fourth grade, decided to write a story like that inspired by those on my own and I like sort of like cast my cousin and one of her friends and like my sisters in this role and like I used my cousin's house as like the in my mind so I saw everything very clearly and I remember my fourth grade teacher reading this story that I had written and sobbing her name was Miss Kelly um and she was sobbing and I was like am I in trouble for stealing from Secret Garden and Little Princess? Cause I was like, I, I was very worried that I was like plagiarizing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she was like, just very moved by the emotion in this story. And that's my earliest wow. memory of being like, oh, I can mess with people's heads. <laughs> that's, that's really impactful. Like at that age too, I think like I, if someone, if that happened to me, I would remember that for the rest of my life. So that's, I don't know. Impressive. I don't know. Like I didn't always my my interests were writing and music so I was like mm-hmm. I, I went through a like I want to be a pop star phase for sure mm-hmm. um wrote songs in high school I write songs again now which is kind of funny um that like circled back and became part of my career um but I was very focused on writing or music or writing music and that was but that's been my whole life I've never wanted to do anything else I mm-hmm. didn't uh, shifted my focus to TV until a lot later. And even then it wasn't until long after I got to Los Angeles that I actually started thinking maybe I could be a TV writer. As a kid, that dream felt so far away. You know, right now there are, I don't even, I, I can't even say the number. The last time I heard there was something like 500 scripted television shows being mm-hmm. produced right now. I know that when I first became a TV writer, one of my mentors, Michael Narducci said to me, you know, there are about the same number of working writers who make a living off of tele- off of, off of writing for the film and television industry as there are NBA players. 
And I was like, mm. oh, I have to be that good. I have to be that fucking good at this. Mm-hmm. And it's very scary. Now there are a lot more shows. <laughs> so yes. there's a lot more opportunity. Yeah, I don't know when, I don't know, I don't know when I became a writer because I feel like I've always mm. been a writer. I can pinpoint a little bit better when I became more focused on television and screenwriting. So yeah, with, with TV writing and stuff, is there now, like if someone wants to get into it, um, is it a lot of what's like, is it the balance of like how talented you are, who, you know, timing, like what kind of works for someone if they want to get into the TV writing industry? I was really nervous to do this podcast because there's not a good answer to that question. Mm -hmm. Um, largely because a lot of the answer to that question is privilege. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of the, and, and I think I know myself and a lot of my peers are working very, very hard to change that. You know, I, this morning was having conversations online about how to make this industry more accessible to people with disabilities, you know, constantly trying to figure out how to make this industry more accessible to people who don't come from family. I mean, I graduated, I was so lucky. I didn't come to Los Angeles with a lot of money in my pocket, but I did come to Los Angeles without student debt. So even though I had no money, I wasn't in the hole. And, and that was a huge privilege that I had that a lot of my peers didn't have. So there's a, it's tough. So I'm, I, I'm starting this conversation, but I'm starting my answer by saying, mm-hmm. I wish that there was a better answer. It's hard mm-hmm. for me. The biggest thing was having a really open mind about how, about all the avenues to get in being a person that people want to talk to and want to hang out with is a big deal in this industry, as awful as that sounds. I have, I'm I'm very open about various, I've got anxiety, I've got depression, I've got ADHD. Um, Mm -hmm. I do a lot of what what we call masking, which Mm -hmm. is taking all of those attributes and putting them into a box and like presenting without them. Um, Because being social in this industry has been very important to me. Um, And I know that's so hard for some people. And I have a lot of empathy for those people that, you know, don't feel like they can walk into a room and introduce themselves to anybody and like strike up a conversation. Um, But meeting people is huge. And Mm -hmm. so the first advice that I always give people, if you want to be in this industry is get to LA, which is really hard in and of itself. Mm -hmm. I think that there's also a couple now other options, Vancouver, Toronto, Atlanta are also in roads that I think if you want to be a television writer specifically, mm-hmm. all roads end up leading to LA, unfortunately, mm-hmm. because it's my least favorite of all of the <laughs> various places. <laughs> the reason that getting to LA or getting in front of people in those, you know, who who work in LA in those sort of like satellite Hollywood cities is because it does really come down to who you know. Mm-hmm. Who you know is the first thing. And then how talented, who, who, you, know, who you know gets you in the door. Mm-hmm. And talent... Uh, talent, respect, being open to learning and not being too arrogant or entitled. Those are the things that keep you in the door. But mm-hmm. ultimately, like you got to meet somebody who will introduce you to somebody else who will introduce, introduce you to somebody else mm-hmm. in order to get that first writer's assistant job. And that kind of mm-hmm. sucks. It's been my experience and the experience of most of the people who I know in this industry, unless they like went to USC here in LA or UCLA mm-hmm. here in LA and then had sort of like a direct track from those programs into agencies or, you know, job opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've interviewed other um, producers and directors and, and other actors as well. And they've all kind of said 
the same thing. It's, I guess, you know, being in the industry, a lot of it, you have to be social and meeting the right people and like, you know, getting, meeting someone that will take a chance on you. So for you personally, did you have anyone, was it Julie Plett? Cause I know that you've talked a lot about her in the past. Um, is there anyone that really helped you kind of get your foot into the door? So Julie Plett is like the number one, but before I talk about Julie Plett, I want to talk yes. about when I first moved to LA, mm-hmm. I had a friend, Amy Kaufman, who mm-hmm. um, is a big deal journalist for the LA times also literally wrote the book like on bachelor nation and is just, you know, she's just killing it all over the board. But she and I had met at a summer program at UCLA when I was 15 years old. We, she was my roommate. We didn't really get along very well as roommates, but we afterward kept in touch over AIM and became best friends. She lived in Boston. I lived in Connecticut. And so during, uh, when I graduated from college, I moved out here to, to LA to live with Amy. And Oddly enough, it, that was the second time we lived together. We would end up living together three different times in our lives, but <laughs> we were never good roommates. I don't know why we kept going about it because <laughs> we, we did love a lot of the same things. I love her right. very much. Um, and we just not the same people to live with. But so I moved out here. Mm-hmm. Amy had been out here at USC. And so her roommate was moving out of the apartment that they shared downtown. And I moved into her roommate's space. And Amy had like interned at the LA times and was just starting out at the LA times. I was an assistant. I had, I had various assistant jobs that I got off like terrible, like, like literally like Craigslist ads, just trying to get my foot in the door. And I was really, really, really unhappy. And one day largely unhappy by the way, because I have social anxiety. I have a a lot of my social anxiety at the time, especially, and still now today. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a lot of phone anxiety and as an assistant you spend like a ton of time on the phone I do as well it's terrifying I hate calling a restaurant to make a dinner reservation and that was like my whole job and it was like it it was so silly but Mm -hmm. I wish I had gotten help for my anxiety earlier I'll say Mm -hmm. that I wish that you know I had gotten on the right medication earlier Mm -hmm. in my career would have been a lot easier for me but anyway I hated my job was like really miserable I think Amy could tell and one day Amy came to me and said hey so the LA Times had this blog and I can't even remember what it's called what it's called anymore but it was a tv recapping blog mm-hmm. um and she was like they need somebody to once a week write a recap of this new show that's coming out called the Vampire Diaries mm-hmm. And I knew that I was not a Twilight fan. So I was like, oh, man. Um, <laughs> but I knew that Kevin Williamson, who had done Dawson's Creek, which was mm-hmm. my very, very, very favorite thing in my entire world. My mm-hmm. dog right now is named Pacey. Like, I will love Dawson's Creek. Oh, my gosh. Um, I have two. I have Pacey and Sammy. And Pacey's named after Pacey Witter. And Sammy is named after Sam Winchester. And I just I love what I love. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, okay, I'll write one recap a week for a hundred dollars of vampire diaries and they really liked the the la times um my my direct superior there her name Mm -hmm. was denise martin she's lovely she really liked what i did so they ended up assigning me not just the vampire diaries but like a show or two every night nice and that money ended up being enough for me to quit my assistant job um and so I was like working all day on writing my own things, just personal mm-hmm. things. I've never seen the light of day. And then at night I would watch 
these shows. I watched them like mm-hmm. three times in a row, write this recap, send it off to the LA Times. Um, all of that to say, it was like th- that, I never saw that as like, oh, I'm gonna get into television writing through this, mm-hmm. but I was open to any weird opportunity that came my way that was even just like adjacent to the industry, adjacent to writing at all. I mean, I always say people, people ask me, why are you a writer? And I make the joke, it's the only thing I'm good at. Um, (laughs) And I don't like, I'm joking, but I'm actually kind of not in that. Mm -hmm. Like, it's also like, my only hobby like I Mm -hmm. people are like what do you do in your spare time I'm like I write things that I don't get paid for like Mm -hmm. I write poetry that I don't plan to show people that's what I love to do so anything writing adjacent you know I had been a PA getting coffee and stuff and so I was just glad to be able to put pen to paper Mm -hmm. Um, and that so Amy Kaufman to recommending me to Denise Martin and then at while I was writing for the LA Times I got a I woke up one morning and I had gotten tweeted at, and this was 2009, so Twitter had just started, right. by Julie Pleck and Kevin Williamson. And I shat myself. I would have too, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I still have those tweets printed out and framed. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, Julie is legitimately one of my best friends. I'm jumping mm-hmm. off of this. When I get off of this, I'm pitching her my new show. Um, <laughs> and But she's she is has been a mentor figure to me, a, you know, a parental figure to me, a shoulder to cry on more times than I can count. But in the end, like she is truly one of the closest friends I have. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Kevin Williamson has just been beyond a mentor. He's somebody who like, not only has this incredible career that I would love to emulate. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, really, he is the person who's, who I look to, to be like, that's the, the, path I want to take mm-hmm. but he's also somebody who is incredibly vulnerable as is incredibly honest about struggles that he's had he makes mistakes and he never once has ever made me feel small you know big mm-hmm. huge powerful especially white male executives it's scary uh, yeah you know with huge success mm-hmm. are so frequently like oh like they, mm-hmm. they make you just feel like they're superhuman mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. how could I ever be that? And he's always been, he's always led with his heart with me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so I got this tweet from them. I was so flustered. And at that time, again, I was just writing re- recaps. I wasn't considered a critic. I wasn't considered a journalist. Mm-hmm. And somebody from the CW reached out to me and said, hey, would you like to interview Kevin Williamson um, for the LA Times. That's and crazy. how my journalism career started. So the very yes. first person I interviewed was Kevin Williamson, but he was so kind to me and so generous mm-hmm. and said things to me in that interview that I still take with me when I'm writing. Mm-hmm. I remember him, I remember asking about why he wrote about teenagers, you know, because mm-hmm. Vampire Diaries was once again, another teenager thing. And, right. and he was like, there's nothing, nothing higher stakes than sweaty palms and wobbly knees when you're in love with somebody for the first time. And I think about that all the time when I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's how the journalism career started. Julie Pleck and Ken Williamson shortly after that took me out to dinner. We're very surprised by the fact that I was like 21 years old. I was a baby, mm-hmm. but um, I told them, long story about my childhood, about my dad having been in the World Trade Center mm-hmm. on 9-11. He survived, but he was there. Um, and at the end of that sushi dinner, Julie said, 
you're a storyteller. You're in the wrong business. You should be writing for TV. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. for another five-ish years that she said, hey, it's time to quit being a journalist. Nobody's going to interview you for writer's assistant or writer's jobs Mm -hmm. when you're a journalist because it's a conflict of interest. Quit your job. Take the plunge. Let's go. And I did. Wow. That's incredible. It did take five years of like, you know, writing about the Vampire Diaries, being around that. I was very, very, very lucky because I was sort of the same age as the cast. So they really welcomed me in. And Mm -hmm. um, still to this day, you know, Candace King and I are super close. I moved, I literally moved houses to be closer to her family. Oh my gosh. Now her family's moving to Nashville and I'm dying. Oh Uh, no. (laughs) But like, she's one of my best friends. Kayla Ewell's one of my best friends. Mm -hmm. I couldn't be closer to I went to Paul's wedding like you know we're all like Mm -hmm. it's it was a long time ago and I was such a baby but I I look back on it with not just like fondness and gratitude but like holy shit I so lucky and that's why it's really hard for me to be giving advice to people on how to get into this industry because I got so lucky that these people Mm -hmm. found me um but it was one I was writing recaps but also it was twitter the recaps made them go like, oh, this girl, you know, we like her reviews of the show. It was my Twitter account and like the jokes I was making and the, my vibe mm-hmm. that made them go, we want to take her out to dinner. And that made me become friends with them. And so I, that's another piece of advice that I like to give people is like, really mind who you are online. I, even to this day, I, before I hire somebody, I make sure that their Twitter account isn't like, shitting on a bunch of television shows or mm-hmm. you know because this job is so hard it's so hard I um imagine and yeah. I make sure that you know there we put so much of ourselves online today even more than you know I was that was 2009 I was mm-hmm. Instagram wasn't a thing Twitter was a thing but it was like very carefully I I hadn't yet learned to curate myself online mm-hmm. um I was being very sort of blunt and honest, but it was very important to me that my writing come across, that my cleverness mm-hmm. come across. And so I think that, and I think that a lot of people end up getting hired that way. I hired somebody on, on Roswell mm-hmm. last year because I really loved her online presence and the way that she talked about other, other pieces of media. I liked, wow. I thought that she, I was like, she gets it. There's a girl named Chloe who is, I believe now mm-hmm. a, producer on the originals who started off at 16 years old maybe even younger than that making videos in her car she'd go out to her car with her Mm -hmm. phone and like make reaction videos to the vampire diaries Mm -hmm. um episodes and like freak out and and julie ended up being like you're hired like wow that's incredible and so i do think that people have such when i say like Mm -hmm. oh it's all about who you know Mm -hmm. that those uh connections can form online opens the world up a little bit eventually you'll have to get to LA or Atlanta or Vancouver or Toronto but yes you can make the first the first step online for sure wow that's incredible that's such a full circle moment for you um you know especially that yeah that you know like Kevin and Julie took took you under their wing I know that I've heard um not just in the entertainment industry but even for me like I've worked in corporate roles where a lot of the executives are all like older white men and you know you're treated a certain way and it's not always the best experience but I'm so glad to hear that for you um there are really awesome people out there not that everyone's shitty but 
there mm-hmm. are also the other ones. Yes, I, of course, of course. Yeah. With Julie, Kevin, uh, Greg Berlanti, mm-hmm. that world, I've been very... Hi, it's me. I just want to pop in and say thank you so much for listening so far. If you like this episode, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen, leave a review and follow me on Instagram at Podcast. Let's jump back into the interview. Very respected and yes. very uh, nurtured. Mm-hmm. that is not the case with every executive that I've encountered in my career mm-hmm. um, and especially being a female I don't know like maybe before when you started it was really dominated by men but uh, do you see that there's a lot more females coming to light as writers producers um yeah do you do you see that dynamic between men and women in the environments that I've been in that have been mm-hmm. very male run mm-hmm. I've been so abused and so traumatized by those things mm-hmm. that on some, I'm like still working through it in therapy because on some mm-hmm. levels, I think that I actually took a lot of the, the fear and the trauma that I experienced in those places. And I actually, it actually made me more difficult to work with as a boss on Roswell because I was so, for example, you know, I had worked with an actor that made me feel so belittled and mm-hmm. so small and so stupid. I felt like this person just loved making me feel bad at my job mm-hmm. and so when I went off to Roswell and I had you know my own cast to manage right I was so determined to never let anybody behave that way even the slightest bit I would like curl up in a ball and freak out and be like ah because I was so afraid of any of them like becoming like this person that I had worked with in the past I see. Um, and you know I also worked with a, a a male boss who mm-hmm. was a screamer, a screamer in a way that mm-hmm. like, I mean, I sobbed, I sobbed, mm-hmm. I cried. I still to this day, uh, one of the other women that I worked with uh, mm-hmm. experienced him, like, well, like randomly, like a, a showrunner, you know, for example, recently, you know, there've been a lot of male showrunners in, in the press that come, it has come out that they've, yes. they're terrible. Yes. And me and me and this other girl will just text each other like this guy gets away with everything. That said, I have worked with great men, Michael Narducci, yep. who was the showrunner on the originals for the first four years. I want to make sure that whenever I'm talking shit, I mm-hmm. want everyone to know it is not about that man. Michael Narducci mm-hmm. was somebody who was tough on me in a really mm-hmm. uh really positive way. I think he mm-hmm. believed in me. I think he saw um, a lot of, of potential in me. And he, he, you know, I, I wanted him to like me so badly and I worked mm-hmm. really hard for that. Um, and he didn't make it easy all of the time, but he didn't hurt me. Like I wasn't mm-hmm. damaged by it at mm-hmm. all. Um, and I want to make sure that I, I say that, um, the person that I, the people that were difficult for me to work with mm-hmm. were not none of them was my energy. Um, well, yeah, you're, well, you're very, very strong to, and thank you so much for sharing that. It's mm-hmm. a tough industry. I'm just starting to learn recently in the last year or so mm-hmm. to like stand up for myself a little bit within that mm-hmm. world. Yeah. It's, I mean, I can't, I can't really, cause I'm not in the entertainment industry, but being in like marketing and like the corporate world, like my previous job, um, it was a tech company and it was like over a hundred people or, and it was like 90% male. Um, and I know it was me and like five other females or 10 other females. And, you know, there was like that fine line. If you did stick up for yourself, a lot of people would be like, oh my God, like Savannah's such a bitch or, um, you know, like you, 
there's just that fine line. It's like, I want to be able to speak up for myself, but then I'm getting like called behind my back that I'm a, like a bitch, for example. So I know in that industry, forget, that's, yeah. I'll never forget, um, I was a very shy kid. I was mm-hmm. very like, the way that I, I, it's hard for me to explain because like people, when I say shy, I think sometimes people from my childhood are like, I don't remember her that way. I would blurt things out that because I, I was like, I was so uncomfortable with my mm-hmm. own opinions. I was so uncomfortable mm-hmm. with the space that I took up in a room. I have a naturally very loud voice. I always thought I should just shut up. Deep insecurities, just like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. All, I don't want to be here all the time. Someone saying to me, I was, it was early in my writing career. And I was, you know, I went from watching every single Vampire Diaries episode four times in a row to write about them, to writing, to being writer's assistant and then writer on the original. So I knew that world Mm -hmm. incredibly well. I knew that Mm -hmm. world better than anybody else in that room, sometimes including the showrunners and Julie, because Mm -hmm. I had watched the the episodes a million times and I knew, you know, Julie had her head full of a billion versions of the episodes. Right. But sometimes she'd be like, oh, we did this. And I'd be like, no, you never, that never made it to air. I felt on the originals, I felt very confident as a writer. I, as after I had written my first two episodes, I was like, I know how to do this. I get this. I'm good at this job. I was still the youngest person and the most inexperienced person in the room. I was still Mm -hmm. a woman. Um, I was not, never called a woman. I was called a girl always. Um, It was always, this girl is talking too much. This girl is whatever. Mm -hmm. And I remember somebody saying to me, I'm just trying to break your arrogance. I'm just trying to, and I just remember thinking, do you know how hard it was for me to, to even speak up this arrogance? Mm-hmm. Know how, how much work it took. Arrogance, right? Like the, the mm-hmm. word arrogance with a man, it would always be confidence. With me, it of was course, arrogant. Of course. Yeah. Um, I was too bossy. I was too arrogant. And I just remember thinking, I have worked so hard and gone to so much therapy and taken so much mm-hmm. medication mm-hmm. to feel strong enough to say the words, Mm -hmm. I'm a good writer. And I'm, and again, I I don't say I'm good at anything. I'm good Mm -hmm. at one thing (laughs) and to want to take that from me for a Mm -hmm. man to look at me and say, I want to take that from you. I want to break your arrogance. I was like that, what you consider arrogance is literally Mm -hmm. the only thing that gets me out of bed in the morning. It's the only Mm -hmm. thing that gets me through this door. It's the only thing that keeps me standing fuck you (laughs) (laughs) about one thing. And it's like, you know, as women, we're told we don't look right. We don't sound right. You know, we're not dateable. We're too strong for Mm -hmm. men. And I just remember being like, I'm single. I hate the way I look in the mirror. I Mm -hmm. feel like my friends all hate me because I'm so busy with work all the time that I've lost them all. The one thing that I feel good about is when I walk into this room sure that my pitch is good mm-hmm. and you want to break me of it it's <laughs> all I've got it's all I right. had and so you know I it's so important to me that that change and mm-hmm. I'm really grateful because I think when the me too movement started happening a few years mm-hmm. ago I remember saying to a friend of mine it was right during when I was dealing with a very a, a boss that I considered to be an incredible bully just incredible bully I remember saying, I really hope that once we as an industry have addressed the issue of sexual mm-hmm. harassment in the workplace on to just straight up bullying. And I think we finally are. 
Yeah. And as a writer, just with, in general, with, with confidence, because I can imagine that, you know, when you're pitching something, there's, you're always, someone's always going to critique you um, with anything. So how did you even build that confidence? Because like, sometimes when you're pitching something, I assume like, that's kind of like your baby. How do you just detach yourself from it? Cause you know, you're going to get so much feedback, some good, some bad. So how did you build that confidence? I don't know yet. I'm still working on mm-hmm. it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm a, I'm a, when I'm in a writer's room, I am a pitcher. So I'll throw anything through the wall. I'll say, Hey guys, this is a bad idea. We're not going to do this, but let me just say it out loud because you can always build off of a bad idea. Right. right. A lot of my best work has come from somebody saying something that I hated, but then me being like, Oh, but you know what? That teeny piece gives me this idea. Let's go. I've pitched a million things that I didn't even like. I'm not super precious about it. Mm-hmm. When I am precious about something, which I have been, I am the fucking worst at letting it go. The worst, (laughs) which was great when I was the boss Mm -hmm. because, you know, on Roswell, if there was a scene that, for example, like couldn't make it into an episode um, because of time, I write long. So my episodes tended to come in. I would have to cut like 10 minutes from every episode. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, as the boss, always knew that I could move that scene to later and I could put it somewhere Mm -hmm. else. When I was writing on the originals, I didn't always know that it was like, I'd, I would write this beautiful scene and then it would get cut and I, I would be shattered mm-hmm. and I would mm-hmm. such a pain in the ass. I know I was a pain in the ass to Mike Narducci and to Julie Pleck. Um, you know, I, but, but in the end, I was often fighting for things that I just really believed in the two things that I remember very well, um, one of them was a um, a scene in episode, I still remember the episode name, in episode 214, uh, which was Haley and Jackson's wedding. There was sort of a side plot about Josh and Aiden, who are our first gay couple on the show, um, yeah. getting into a, an argument over whether or not they could be sort of out and proud about their relationship. Mm-hmm, and it wasn't mm-hmm. because they were gay. It was because one was a werewolf and one was a vampire and it was all very romantic. Right, I remember. Um, yeah, and I the episode was way, 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 way too long. Like, I think Mm -hmm. the cut came in at like 63 minutes. We get 42 minutes and 15 seconds. And usually a cut that comes in at 63 minutes sucks. It's too long. It's too slow. We're like, oh, we got a lot of air to take out. Mm -hmm. It came in at 63 minutes and it was like perfect. And we were all like, shit, how do we do this? And because Mm -hmm. Josh and Aiden were both guest stars, Mm -hmm. their storyline was getting reduced. And this was not about homophobia. Like, I don't want, uh, you know, it wasn't about Julie and and Mike not caring about mm-hmm. those two characters. But the other two things that were going on in that episode was that Haley and Jackson were getting married, which was obviously huge for Elijah and Klaus, who mm-hmm. loved Haley in their various ways. And we needed mm-hmm. all those moments. We needed to be able to preserve the time to see Haley make eye contact with Klaus while she's on the altar with Jackson. We mm-hmm. needed to preserve the time for her to make eye contact with Elijah. We needed to see Elijah mm-hmm. looking down at Haley and Jackson. Mm-hmm. All of those things were incredibly important. And also in that episode, Cole, who was at the time played by Daniel Sharman, was dying. And right. Davina, and so it was like two yeah. huge things. And this other tiny little plot about these like, you know, cute werewolf r- romance had to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't let it go. And I was mm-hmm. a huge pain in the ass about it in a way that I think, you know, literally just like I, I it was inappropriate for me at the, the level that I was at as a staff writer to be like mm-hmm. so hardcore about it. 
I sat in that editing room and we found a way to get a little oh bit of a, not so not the whole story we didn't we didn't right. preserve it all but enough and I remember Julie saying if this matters to you this much do it and I was so lucky to have a boss that you know saw the like the fire in me one I think she really respects me and trusts me um and she knew I had a lot to learn but she also also knew that I was the audience of that show I would have right. watched that show if I hadn't worked on it. And so that mm -hmm. was a big one for me. Another, the other big one that I remember is in the final season, there was a pitch in an episode that I wrote where um, Marcel, uh, I was talking to Hope and Marcel had like tattled on Hope to Klaus, her father, their mm -hmm. father, you mm -hmm. know, the guy who had mm -hmm. raised both of them. Yeah. And Marcel was at a place where he had accepted that, that Klaus had raised him in a pretty uh, toxic and abusive way mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. for Marcel to go tell on hope to their toxic and abusive father I was like I can't I can't I can't I can't and mm -hmm. in order to preserve that not happening we had to like add a scene to like like it was just the way that it worked out mm -hmm. but um, I remember I cried in the writer's room I cried mm -hmm. and I was like I cannot have my name on an episode because you know I, I know a lot about complicated family dynamics and mm -hmm. I just was like you don't tell on your sibling when you know that their dad is going to blow up the world like I just mm -hmm. couldn't deal and again mm -hmm. so again it was stuff that was very important to me did I get upset about little things that I had to lose yeah but all of this is to say no I don't yet take criticism well I don't yet mm -hmm. let things go easily um but I love that that, that makes you, you you and you know that makes you like a very distinct writer and you fight for what you want um, what I have which gotten I love. better at, what I have gotten mm -hmm. better at, I think, is criticism from fans. Like I can take criticism of my work and my writing pretty well. I mm -hmm. do get bothered when they're like, they don't like a scene, so they call me racist. When it's, oh. you know, we had a, a, a thing last season on uh, Roswell where a lot of the the um, a lot of the fans didn't like a decision that Maria had made. Um, okay. It was a black character. And mm -hmm. I was was accused of being racist because they didn't like this decision that Maria had made. And I was like, hold on a second. I like the decision Maria made. Mm -hmm. I think that this is a, a black woman being powerful. And mm -hmm. we can have a conversation about race dynamics on the show. We can have a conversation about problematic writing, but mm -hmm. don't call me a racist. Don't mm -hmm. call me because, you know, for me, I was like, no, I sat, we, you know, I sat with the actress. I did. So I, I don't take personal criticism very well mm -hmm. um, because I don't think that that's the, the realm. I don't think that's the, mm -hmm. you know, that's not what I'm offering the world. Mm -hmm. I, I actually like really don't mind the, the sort of like, I have, I'm sure that I've written things mm -hmm. that are problematic. I'm sure that I've written things that are racist. Mm -hmm. I grew up in, in the United States. So there's a lot right. of, you know, ingrained stuff that I don't know but it was very tough for me to it's tough for me to hear it's tough it's tough for me to hear like she's racist or she's yeah. toxic I'm like I'm writing about a toxic relationship I'm not a toxic person yes yes um, the internet can be can be a little bit um yeah it can be toxic and I know that I've 
I even looked at like, I think on your Instagram or Julie's Instagram, just like the comments the other day. And just like so many of these little fan groups, just like attacking, like either you or Julie or whatever. I'm like, oh my gosh, like they're just associating you with, you know, like the writing, you're a completely different person. I mean, I get attacked for how I look and they try to like connect it (sighs) to the show in a very weird way. Like they'd be like, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, she's breaking up this couple because she's fat and she's jealous of the fictional couple. And I'm like, Oh my what? gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think about, how, do I, yeah. how do I even like get, how do I even like process that they're fictional? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't make sense. I think at, like at that point, I don't know if you haven't already, I would like, if I were you, I would just like not look at the comments or anything. Yeah. Well, I've gotten you know. to the point where I don't mm. read DMs because I think mm. that if people are going to be assholes, they need to be assholes right out in front of God and everybody. Um, True. But I also, <laughs> I also, you know, in the last few weeks, even have just sort mm-hmm. of become, I got a terrible comment recently that I posted a lot about where somebody, I hadn't even posted anything on Instagram that day. And I got a DM from a stranger that said, um, have you ever had an eating disorder? And then the next one said, if not, you should try it. And I was oh, like, God. I was like, man, I didn't even post anything that day, but like yeah. weirdly enough. And that, at that I shut my DMS down after that, but weirdly mm-hmm. enough, I don't know what this is mm-hmm. about since that day, I've been like feeling better about my body. I, I mm. think I, like there's something like went, something snapped in my brain. I was like, fuck that person. And also mm-hmm. not just fuck that person, but mm-hmm. fuck everybody because I mm-hmm. like this body. I like, I like this body. The people that mm-hmm. I care about, like my body, like my body, I'm strong. I'm like, you know, and I, I, mm-hmm. I that's, I think one of those things that's just like about being a woman in the public eye. Um, mm-hmm. And I, choose to be online. Um, I choose to have an Instagram. I choose Mm -hmm. to put my face out there. I think people are often like, just shut down. You know, you don't, there are plenty of showrunners that don't have Twitter and don't have Instagram. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm a fucking millennial. Like (laughs) that's also my social life. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. It would be different if I was 50 years old and like still learning it. I'm not Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. I grew up with Facebook. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not shutting it down, but mm-hmm. I did. I have recently just been like, no, I like my body. Oh my gosh, I I love. I, I like love like my that. body. Like I'm yes. I'm good, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when you're getting those comments, when you are feeling down and you're feeling isolated, and you mm-hmm. do feel, you know. I was single for most of my time on the originals, and mm-hmm. would get a lot of comments that were like this bitch needs to get laid and I was like yeah no kidding but it really like it really cut me I guarantee you not a single man I worked with ever got a you need to get laid comment about yeah, their yeah. about their writing you know um wow that's that's crazy I it just shows again it's just people's own insecurities but I'm so glad to hear that you feel more comfortable because I've talked about it a lot um, on my podcast because I suffered from an eating disorder and that's only like this this past year or two that I'm like starting to feel more comfortable but I totally that's resonate great. with that yeah but thank you so much for sharing I know uh, that I can't imagine people sending those things like I, I don't know I, karma I believe in karma I just I don't know why why people send that kind of stuff that's crazy yeah I don't know I think that it's been a really really hard year for everybody I try really totally. hard to remember that mm-hmm. somebody says something to to me like that mm-hmm. their, their life is not good that said you know I 
I'm in therapy. I'm lucky that I can afford therapy. I'm lucky mm-hmm. that my, you know, the WGA healthcare takes care of me, but I, I don't, I, I like to talk about this stuff because I think that there's this sort of like, sometimes there can be this outside perspective of not just the industry, but like when you get more micro, like just my mm-hmm. life, you know, mm-hmm. I'm surrounded by a, a bunch of actors all the time. I get to go to cool things when there's not a pandemic. I get sent pretty outfits to wear. And like, mm-hmm. I, I don't want people to think that that's like the whole picture. Um, mm-hmm. And I also would really like people to stop, to try to, before they hit send, think about whether they are criticizing my work or myself. Mm -hmm. Because I'm okay with you criticizing my work. I'm okay with you viciously criticizing my work. Call it racist, like call it homophobic. Let me, Mm -hmm. make me do better. But also please look at the fact that I'm trying really hard. I'm trying so hard. I'm, Mm -hmm. and it's very hard for me to be open and to wanna learn and to want to hear you if you're also calling me that ugly bitch. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being open about, um, about all this. Cause I, you know, like on the outside perspective, I don't really know what it's like in the entertainment industry. You, you know, some people, they think it's all really glamorous and, you know, you get sent a bunch of things, you're with actors, you're partying, but you know, everyone's human too. Everyone hurts. So thank you for for being so open about it. I mean, I do think that this transfers to like every industry. My sister and, you know, mm-hmm. other sisters in, in uh, marketing. And I think that being a woman in a man's world is really tough. I really don't want to have come on this, this podcast and been like, my life is hard and nobody get into no, this. No, 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 no. I really believe things are getting better. Doors are opening. People like me and like Julie Pleck and like a lot of my, I mean, literally as we speak, Julie Pleck is doing a Instagram live that she calls gentle curiosity where she I is saw that, yeah. trying to learn to be an activist, trying to, you know, she grew up in a different time and a different was mm-hmm. raised differently. Um, her version, you know, we used to have these conversations about how my version of feminism looks different from her ver- version of feminism. And now we are both mm-hmm. learning that both of our versions of feminism can be better and can be more intersectional and can be more, you know, inclusive. And so we're, we're like, there are people like us, a lot of people like us mm-hmm. who are doing the work, who are trying really hard to open these doors in this industry. Um, mm-hmm. I had a conversation with somebody yesterday about the Oscars and about awards in general and how white people need to fix the award system. And I was like, yeah. And then I was like, there are more important things we have to fix before. We <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I was like, wait, um, but I, but I, so I don't want to scare mm-hmm. anybody off. Um, mm-hmm. I also want to say that finding people connecting with people Mm -hmm. in the industry is easier than ever on Twitter. If you're kind and thoughtful and um, like, I would love for people to reach out to me who maybe don't have as easy of a a time getting in. And I'd love to see what I can do when I'm in a position to help right now. I'm not hiring, but I will be Mm -hmm. very soon. And like, it's more important to me than ever to make sure that, you know, there's access to all these different points. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't want to discourage people because mm-hmm. I think what really is so important is the next generation of storytellers is going to be better than my generation. And the next generation after that is going to be better than their generation. And mm-hmm. so I don't want to scare people away. I think mm-hmm. that there's more opportunity than ever and that there are people who are 
who want to help and who want to get you in the door. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not easy to find them, but they're there. And I, I hope that I hope to be one of them for the rest of my career. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Everything's a work in progress. Not just, as we said, the entertainment industry, Uh, there's a bunch of different industries that are either like male dominant or, you know, racially dominant. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. I know that's, it's a work in progress, but um, I'm glad to hear that there's more people like you trying to make a difference for um, people around like my age. Like I'm sure I'm going to fuck up. I'm sure I'm going to say the wrong thing. Of course, of course. We're all human. Yeah. You know, right now my focus is when I, when I hire on my next show, which hopefully mm-hmm. I'll be doing soon. Um, I really want to make sure that we, that we, I doors are open for particularly for me. You know, I think that the industry is doing a lot better job hiring uh, black writers and black support staff. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to continue that trend. I also want no, that's a trend. You know what I mean? I want I want yes. to continue the upward trend. I didn't mean to consider to call it a fad. Yes. Um, I would like it to continue trending upward. And I also really am right now trying to figure out how we can be better suited to uh, people with disabilities because, you know, the, the first, the first job that you get as a, uh, when you're trying to be a writer is a Mm -hmm. PA and that involves carrying things, driving, running things back and forth. And I'm like, well, if that's the entry level, then we're excluding a massive amount of people. And how do I fix that right now? So mm-hmm. I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm trying. You're starting the conversation, <laughs> which is really good, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, okay. Rapid fire questions. Hit me. Okay. <laughs> Ended on a, a little bit of a lighter note. Okay. Um, if a movie was made of your life, what genre would it be and who would play you? Um, it would be a comedy. I hope a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, who would play me I don't know because there are enough plus size actresses out there in the universe the first person who comes to mind when I was a kid I I wanted to look like Julia Stiles that was my like thing she obviously she's not plus size but that was like mm-hmm. I was like Julia Stiles yeah there's not enough plus size people for me to choose somebody because mm-hmm. That's my, my other thing that I'm ranting about right now is I'm sick mm-hmm. of people wearing fat suits. Um, I just hire fat actors, you guys. It's yeah. okay. Like they won't bite you. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't have a good answer for that physically. No, totally fair. Um, if you were to buy any kind of food right now, what would it be? Chocolate chip cookies from mm. there's this place in LA called Milk Bar that makes these like really fat, fluffy chocolate chip cookies. Mm. I miss. <laughs> Um, okay. Between the three aliens, vampires, or werewolves, werewolves, good choice. <laughs> good choice. I would have picked werewolves. Hard and fast well. werewolves. Never, not, not a single question in my mind. hundred percent. I, when, when twilight came out, I was always, um, team Jacob and no one was <laughs> team Jacob, but I'm like, I always, just, followed through, always followed through with that. I just love an underdog. I love an underdog. Yeah. I also think in like the allegory of it all, I think that mm-hmm. werewolves are, um, the metaphor feels more akin to what it's like to be a woman than uh, than vampires. Vampires, I always felt like was sort of an interesting allegory for mm-hmm. sexuality. But um, for for me, werewolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I when I am writing about werewolves, which I love, um, there's a lot of sort of like angry feminist stuff that I get to write about, which I like. Um, I but I was sure. always I was always Vampire Diaries. I was always I love Tyler on the Vampire Diaries. I love Michael Trevino. Yeah. And uh, when we got to the originals, you know, Haley was my girl. I would, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would, 
I cried when we killed that character as if I had lost a, a friend because I had been writing mm -hmm. her like a friend for so long. So yeah, werewolves. Amazing. Good Sorry, choice. that was um, not a rapid fire answer. No, 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 but I appreciate the- I answer. just didn't want to like, <laughs> you know, I also just got done writing aliens. So like maybe yeah. in a couple of years, I'll get back to loving them, but werewolves for sure. <laughs> okay, uh, favorite travel spot? Um, my family owns a hotel in the Caribbean called Mount Nevis Hotel in Nevis. Ooh. That's my very, very favorite place in the entire world. Amazing. Um, what do you do now that you didn't do before COVID and quarantine? Uh, I cook a little bit. <laughs> um, I FaceTime my friends more often. <laughs> um, I was never a big FaceTime person. Yeah, I think that's, mm -hmm. I mean, I really... I was kind of an introvert before quarantine. So um, the irony was that right before lockdown last year, I had just spent almost three weeks completely alone in New Mexico without seeing a single other person. And I was loving it. And then all of a sudden they're like, and now no one can see anyone. And I was like, oh no, I really should have spent that time socializing. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, how would you spend $5 million today? And let's say you can't give it away. Like you physically, like you need to spend it today. Mm -hmm. Um, I would buy an RV that I like a, that I would trick out big time. Um, and, and to travel in, I would, I guess I, well, I just got a house, but I, um, but my house is not coyote proofed enough. I would coyote proof my house. There's coyotes get, that come in or like they go around your property? My yard. Yeah. Oh. There's a pack of coyotes that likes to prowl my yard and I have two small dogs. So that's like my greatest fear right now. And it's like, right. you know, my, I, I live in fear of coyotes. Um, <laughs> and, and then I would have enough left over to finance uh, a show that I am obsessed with that um I don't know if it's gonna get picked up this isn't the, mm -hmm. like this is like a small personal project but um mm -hmm. with five million bucks I could probably get that thing off the ground so nice okay yeah speaking of tv shows what is currently your favorite tv show I just finished watching your honor and I felt like that was mm -hmm. incredible mm -hmm. um but it's over and uh I'm really, really, really looking forward to the final season of The Bold Type. I'm very sad that it's the final season, but I, I used love to. That I show. love that show. I haven't seen the the last season, but I really like that show. That was I really love it. One. I love the women on it. I think Katie Stevens mm -hmm. is like a just a and and Asia D are just like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. gift to the world. Mm -hmm. um, so those are sort of my favorite shows right now. I spent quarantine catching up on Grey's Anatomy and Supernatural. Um, so good. Yeah. Are still huge, huge favorites of mine. What totally. Yeah. I've been really loving a lot of like nineties, early two thousand shows. I just discovered this. Maybe I'm living under a rock, but I've been obsessed with Felicity. If you've heard of that show. Have I heard of that show? I love yeah, it. I know. I've just been so. And I remember I told you, I told you that I almost transferred to New York when I was in college. Was it that was like because partly oh, it was Felicity. Oh yeah. God. It was like, I had like rented, rented, I hadn't watched it when it was on and then I like rented mm -hmm. it that was back when Netflix like sent you DVDs mm -hmm. and um I watched it and I was like I'm just gonna go be at like a, a nerdy bookworm in New York City <laughs> yeah I love yeah. that show are you a Ben fan or a Null fan <sighs> I mean I was going through waves originally I was like Null all the way and then Ben kept fucking things over and then I was like 
no he's like when he smiles it literally gets me I'm like oh yeah. no but then I'm a Noel I'm a Noel girl until yeah. I die until I yeah. die but yeah now I'm Noel I was Noel for so long and then Ben you know started to get all you know charming they were dating and then now I'm back on Noel because like, Ben's a little bit problematic but I haven't finished the season so no I mean it was, it was, you know the show started in like what 1998 it's all yeah problem. there's yeah. a whole <laughs> way too many white people on that show but anyway <laughs> 100% yeah um and last question. This one usually stunts a little bit of uh, my guess, but who are the three most important people in your life? Some people group people because they feel bad or some people are just honest. So up to you. I'm going to skip one just for like privacy reasons. <laughs> yes, yes, totally. <laughs> um, my mom is the most pers- important person in my life. Um. Yeah, I, I do feel like I have to kind of group my my friends mm, a little bit. Totally. Um, I am extremely lucky and have an extremely close group of friends out here mm-hmm. in LA. I think a lot of people move to LA and are like, the people there suck. And I'm like, they mm-hmm. don't, they really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an incredibly, incredibly supportive group of friends. And we actually just, on Monday, were able to get together for the first time since quarantine started, all of us. Um, for my friend Stephen Amell's 40th birthday mm-hmm. and uh, being in the same room, well, not the same room. We were outside, we were in a garage with the doors open so that we were <laughs> a little it's cold here, but um, mm-hmm. everybody was vaccinated and, and getting everybody together in the same space again was just like so emotional and incredible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm also gonna say, my nephew Caden, because mm-hmm. he is just a few months old and he is the like light of my life. My, he was born on February 23rd. He's my first nephew. Mm-hmm. And um, I would burn the world down for him. I always say like, mm-hmm. if, if this kid experiences one unpleasant moment in his life, like, look <laughs> out for Aunt Karina. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, my mom, then my friends mm-hmm. and then baby Caden. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Sorry, this took a little bit longer um, than I said initially, but I I love chatting with you and thank you again, just for being so, you know, open, transparent about what the industry is. You know, there's, you know, you're, you're working on it. You're starting the conference, the important conversations, which I love to hear, but I, I should say I'm not starting any of those conversations. Mm -hmm. I'm participating in those conversations. Yes. Yes. Participating. Yeah. Those stories, those conversations have been largely started by, um, black women um Mm -hmm. and that i'm participating in them and that what we really need um Mm -hmm. is for executives to start participating in them because you know it's hard you get a call from a an executive at a studio or a network and they say hey we really want you to do an episode about systemic racism and i'm like cool Mm -hmm. i'm white i'm the boss of the show is there anyone of color at the studio or the network who will be making sure that I don't fuck this up? And they're like, no, mm-hmm. um, you know, we need black executives in current and development at all of the studios and the networks and we need it very badly. Um, mm-hmm. Black and Asian, I should say now, uh, you know, I just, what's, what's been going on over the last few months has just been very enlightening, but um, mm-hmm. I, uh, I think that I'm definitely not starting any conversations. Yes. I'm trying to further them. Totally, yes. 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 And I can't wait to see, you know, what you do in the future if you do get like a new show. I'm so excited to see. Um, yeah, I've yeah. got stuff that hopefully will be announced soon. I've been working mm-hmm. really hard for the last few 
last year. And I think that, um, you know, I've been working harder than I've ever worked in my life and yet nothing's on TV yet. So I'm like, <laughs> can I get a little, can I, can, can, I'm very much looking forward to showing everybody what I've been working on. Yes. Um, but speaking of, I have to go pitch a show. I'm actually pitching a new show to Julie Pleck, which should be Amazing. fun. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is of really course. And that was Karina. Thanks for listening. I'll put all her links in the show notes as always. I just really enjoyed and appreciated this conversation and thank you for listening and I'll see you next week.